Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest show on Welcome, ladies and germs, boils and ghouls, all the Talking Terror fans out there nationwide and worldwide. It is once again time for Talking Terror. We welcome you back to this episode. I am your old pal, the King Har, Andy G, welcoming you to this special episode going back to 1987. Uh, it is my pick, so I chose The Gate, directed by Tibor Takis. I cannot wait to talk about this movie. A whole lot of memories of this one from my childhood. But, of course, I am joined once again by the Glenn to my Terry, the Ghoul Geek Keith. Hey, hello, hello, hello. Oh, I get to be Glenn, dude? Wow, He's the hero. He's the hero of the fucking thing, as we'll discuss. You know, I was more like Terry wearing my jean vests with killer dwarves. <laughs> well, we can discuss our feelings on Terry and, uh, and Glenn later, but uh, how you doing yes. tonight, man? I am doing fantastic. I'm ready for this new episode. Fresh off the heels of a trip to Timeline Arcade with Mad Monkey, uh, his wife and his son, playing nothing but arcade and pinball machines for 12 long hours from 1 p.m. to 1 a.m. It was an all-night thing. It was fantastic. How about yourself, sir? How was your weekend? Oh, it was uh, very uh, very docile, actually, you know. Just uh, didn't have a lot of flow docile. rolling and just kind of, yeah, just kind of chilled out and didn't do much. Uh, I think at some point or another, we started watching the uh, the High School Musical movies, and uh, that was that. You know, you know, you know me. Uh, always love a good musical, and I've uh, never actually watched any of those before. So, I've seen like bits and pieces over the years, but finally watched all three like fully through. Huh. See, I guess it was uh, Glee that I was thinking of. So I know that you were a fan of some musical show, and I guess it was Glee that you were a fan of. I was thinking High School Musical, but was it Glee? Yeah, you liked it. Yeah, no, I I did enjoy the first couple of seasons of Glee. It was very uh, snarky and smart assy and and all that stuff. But that show kind of lost its luster a couple seasons in. Oh, yeah, I remember it was one of those things. I didn't know if it was something for Glee, but you know, that show went on for a lot longer than I thought it would. I was thinking that thing would been canceled early, but that thing went on for a couple of years. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and it was sarcastic and. Fighting, which was great, you know, and like I said, I mean, I, I did not end up watching it till the end. I just kind of just fell out of it, so I think I missed like uh, the last two or three seasons. No, it's nothing to, you know, shake a tree at, but I also believe that we're joined by the demonic Dr. Dave himself. Hello, Doctor. It's a nice house, Terry. Yeah. Got plenty of 80s insults to come. Quit stagging off. We got an episode to do. Uh, how are you, Doc? Evening. I'm just fine. Uh, I'm ready to talk about the gate in 1987. Yes, I, I definitely cannot wait to talk about this movie. Uh, like I said, it's uh, definitely a staple for my childhood, so we'll get to it. But how have you been doing, Doc? What did you do this weekend? Anything fun, exciting, deadly? Uh, well, nothing deadly that I know of. 
Good. Uh, Sunday was my birthday. Happy belated birthday, Sam. Thank you. I spent, the, I spent the weekend around uh, two hours east of where we were. There's this uh, town called Lodi that has a bustling little wine country that's a little off the beaten path. It doesn't get the tourist traffic of Napa and Sonoma. Uh, so we brought our bicycles and just kind of rode our bikes around to a bunch of different wineries, drank a bunch of wine, hung out. It was pretty cool. Oh, very cool. Smoke a little grass. Have a little wine. <laughs> it's divine. <laughs> One hell of a way to celebrate your birthday. So that's good. I'm glad that you had a good birthday. And yeah, I can't believe there's just a little Lodi up in New Jersey. Can't believe there's a Lodi, uh, there's Lodi, Lodi in New Jersey. <laughs> well, that's a pit if there ever was one. So hopefully Lodi, California is a little bit better. I'm sure that it is. Yeah, I guess it's not. I guess it is the Lodi, New Jersey of California. Oh, unless there's wine. <laughs> Very good, Doc. Glad that you had a great birthday. So, uh, as we always do before we get into the movie, uh, there's horror news. So, do you ever think you want to talk about uh, Ghoul before I give it to uh, the Doc? No, no, I never have anything I want to talk about. That's actually not true, man. I mean, you know, there's there's always plenty of things to fucking talk about. I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I here's some just little snippets of things that I've caught. I guess uh, what Glenn Danzig's gonna throw his fucking hat into the horror making world, and uh, supposedly he is going to be the next uh, rocker type uh, musician to make a horror movie. Really. So he's yeah, going to direct indeed. Uh, No, it's uh, saying that he's going to write, direct, and compose. It's a uh, three-part horror anthology based on his verotic comic books. Yes, <laughs> I don't know. It's nothing that I know about. It's just, you know. No. Just, uh, oh, great. That's what we need, another heavy metal icon making overrated horror movies. Indeed. I wonder what took him so long. I honestly wonder what took Danzig so long to do it. You know, figure he would be the first one, you know, to do that stuff because of all his material and his bands, you know, he's the guy that you would think would start off with the horror trend before D. Snyder and Rob Zombie ever kind of dipped into the pool. But yeah, about time. I, you know, look forward to seeing what he can come up with. I, I was figuring it would be Henry Rollins, you know what I mean? Him too. But uh, he's just such an awesome actor. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, other I will say things that, you know, if you oh. if you have never listened to uh, any of Henry Rollins' spoken word performances, mm-hmm. uh, they're absolutely intensely interesting and super brilliant. Um, yes, it's not it's not stand up comedy. Uh, it's just him riffing on a variety of different topics. Um, I haven't seen one in a very long time. Is somebody doing the show from like inside a dog kennel? What am I hearing back there? No, I had to go inside. I, I go on my balcony during the show, but apparently the class is letting out from the church. They got a lot of people screaming and yelling at each other, so I had to I'll, go inside I'll, to get to a quieter spot. So we tell them fuckers to shut up. Yeah, really, they're playing music. They're dancing around out there. Go home. I got a show to but, record, people. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, it's just him, you know, talking on numerous politics, and he's. Uh, the, seems to be tremendously well-read and, and very interesting. Yeah. So 
uh, I do highly suggest seeking some of that out if you haven't seen it. No, I do do agree with that. I have seen some of it. Um, And, yes, he is. He is very intelligent, and he can get his thoughts, his ideas, everything out very, very eloquently. Um, But, uh, yeah, no, my my stab was just simply at his, his acting in general. I forget which one of the Wrong Turn series he was in. But Long it was some too. of like yeah. just oh okay, well then that was the one and yeah that was just fucking like that watching his performance in general was a horror movie all in its own so it was kind of <laughs> like having a movie within the movie so I'd say it wasn't fun but it was it was pretty bad. Well, he did one that's uh, on I think Netflix right now and I can't remember the title of it offhand. I think it was he wasn't there. I think that was the title of the movie where he plays an angel and uh, seeking revenge on evil people. It's actually pretty good. Uh, I just wish I could remember the name off the top of my head, but I can't. Uh, but I think it's still on Netflix. So if you go on there and check it out, I'm sure it's still there. But it's, uh, he's the star. He's the main character of the film. But it's a great film. Because, yeah, I, I definitely like Henry Rollins. Even in The Chase, as a supporting character, Henry Rollins is fucking great. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, I guess the, the other thing I've heard was that... Uh... You know, in typical advertising type of fashion, where you know there's there's no such thing as bad publicity. I guess right. YouTube has banned the trailer for the Nun because it was too scary. Ah! They did. The, the, the latest offshoot from the uh, the Conjuring series. Um, so yeah, supposedly YouTube had to pull. Whatever the hell it was, because it was just, you know, uh, I've got a quote here. I'm literally shaking. Um, it must have just been fucking horrifyingly frightening. But Dude, I saw that. Whatever, man. So the, the nun thing, um, this movie coming out. Yeah. Uh, so it's one of those. It's called it's the nun. Back, yeah, the nun. Um, the nun. I'll have none of that. Let's look at this gun. Uh, so if you think back to like the early days of the internet and like seeing videos what on the, the internet, the internet, the fuck's <laughs> internet. Um, but there were like a couple of those videos. One was like a, a car winding its way through like a majestic mountain road. And then all of a sudden, oh, yeah. like it even screams in your face. Uh, or, it, there was a couple of videos that were like that designed for you to watch it. It's like, oh, make sure you turn the sound up, you know, and then it scares the shit out of you. Uh, it, it was that kind of thing. I saw it. I saw, I saw the advertisement, and uh, that's basically like there's an ad, and then there's like a, like a, a, a close-up on like a demon nun's face who screams at you, um, mm. you know, and that's, that's what the, <laughs> the ad was. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe the king. But um, sure, that was me. <laughs> so anyway, so that's what all this hoopla is about. That's one of the things that I was going to bring up. That was actually, I think, uh, the first thing on my list. So I think it's kind of silly, uh, but you know, in this day and age, you know, people complain about everything. And in this day and age of social media, like any kind of backlash that spreads like wildfire, uh, companies are just going to like shut shit down and not risk getting sucked into that whole thing. Not that I think some yeah, this is horror hype. movie. Not that I think some horror movie, you know, is going to rattle the chains out there. Of course, but uh, yeah, people were freaking out about this ad. I saw it. It's you know, it it does what it's designed to do because you don't see it coming. But you know, uh, I guess some people really uh, couldn't handle it. This is the hype train, man. There's just 
no oh. way it's not. You know, they got to push it the way they're pushing it. They want to get more butts yeah. in the seat, and nothing gets people out yeah. to the theater more than thinking they're about to see the scariest fucking thing on this planet, people. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I didn't see it. I'm sure if you give it a day or two, it'll be there you know, added by some person who just happened to record it, you know, before <laughs> it got pulled, you know, because there's that, yep. those conjuring super fans out there that are, are sitting there with their phones and they're like, oh man, I'm going to totally record this because this shit is the shit. Um, yeah. Like I said, it's hype train, man. This is how they're going to fucking promote the movie. This is the kind of shit they're going to pull because they need to convince people that these movies are scary. Um, jump scares, or jump scares, you know, it's a loud noise, it's a, a shocking image really fast. Um, whatever, I, I've enjoyed parts of the Conjuring series, um, but, you know, I don't know, they don't do it for me in that way. I don't find it no. scary. Yeah. No, they, they aren't scary, but it, it makes me do wonder, and it's probably true, about how much of the, not just the hype train, but how much of a PR stunt that that could be. You know, YouTube saying, oh, we're not showing this, we're pulling it down. How do you know that the studio wasn't behind that? You know, telling YouTube, oh, you're going to say that uh, you're pulling this down because it's too scary. Dude, because this is is not just some, it's not like Mr. YouTube is sitting around making a decision. This is mega gazillion. (laughs) I mean, YouTube is Google. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I I don't think that that Google is getting (laughs) behind some ad campaign for some low-level horror movie. Uh, You know, uh, they took it off their platforms. You know, like they said that their official statement was that it violated their shocking content platform. Uh, I don't think Google okay. is going along with some ad campaign for a shitty horror movie. Um, I wouldn't blame if they did. They got money from it. I would say if the studio coughed up a couple million bucks, yep, that it would be brilliant I don't advertising think, I don't think that's for the both here. products. Yeah. I feel that this is, not the, this is not the kind of movie that they know is going to make big dollars. Uh, this is, you know, it's going to be a, whether it's good or not, it might have a strong opening weekend and that's going to tell off like almost every horror movie that gets a wide theatrical release. This is not some, uh, you know, huge blockbuster that has a multi-million dollar advertising campaign to spend big bucks. I really, and, and again, I, I don't think it's something that Google is just like, oh yeah, let's, um, let's go on. along with that. Let's that's get, a good a idea. Let me, let me just cut in, let me cut in here. Okay. <laughs> just so you know. Okay. Annabelle was made on a $6.5 million budget and brought in $257 million. So you can't sit here and say that Conjuring films don't make a lot of money. These are not small budget films. The budget for Conjuring was $20 million. It made $320 million. The Conjuring 2 made even more than that. They've got a third one coming out for that series as well. And then there was also Annabelle fucking... You know, whatever creation. These movies have the money, and they have a studio that's willing to say, "Hey, you know what? We might spend only fifteen million to make this movie. We can." What they don't throw in there is that we'll spend another five million in advertising so that we can promote it. And you know, if they threw fucking Google, hey, here's four million dollars. We want you to just kind of, you know, let's let's promote this a little bit. Let's hype this a little bit. Google's not saying no. They want money, too. Because they are Warner Brothers releases these movies. So they got bank. You know, Warner Brothers is behind these movies. So they're not broke. You know, they it's not like a micro-budget film. You know, it's like, oh, we made it for $100,000. You know, no. 
They have money. Fucking and Annabelle Creation made three hundred and six million. <laughs> the four fucking yeah. films have made almost. A, they've made over a billion dollars. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So that's that's where I'm at. I, I think it's definitely a PR stunt. You know, oh, we're gonna pull these trailers, so everybody's like, oh, this movie's gonna be hyped. Like, you know, we got to see this well, movie. Well, no, I, again, I still I still disagree. The trailers aren't pulled. They're just pulled on YouTube. You can put it into Google right now and watch it in a million different places online. I just I don't see the you know whatever the branch of Google that YouTube right. is I just I just don't see it being oh let's make this big stunt with YouTube I you know what I mean it's not like they've taken it off the internet uh, you can watch it right now I watched it after I mm-hmm. heard that it had been uh, taken off of YouTube I just put it in a Google search and within five seconds I was watching it yeah oh, well it's it always going to be other five it just amazes me that on the same fucking thing, which promotes the idea of like making videos that are as long as they're, they're not showing something that is overly gory, overly sexualized, you know, you can put, you know, whatever kind of creative fucking thing you want to put on there. And yet you have something like this pulled, I, you know, my, my kids sit around and they watch fucking videos of retarded teenagers saying all kinds of foul mouth shit, pulling all kinds of pranks, not all of those things being legal. And those are allowed on there. But a video that fl- gives you a jump scare with a nun's flashy face gets pulled. Again, I, I don't buy it. Well, they had the, the same thing back in 73. Uh, with The Exorcist, there was a trailer that they originally wanted to put up of Pazuzu's face being flashed over images of the movie that got pulled from theaters because people thought it was too scary. I mean, that's back. Well, in they the also thought that was sub- they also thought that was subliminal messaging too. Oh so. yeah, yeah, there was a whole big issue. But that's uh, you know that's decades before YouTube and Google and all these other searches, and that's an actual theatrical trailer being removed from theaters because of it being too scary. There was epilepsy issues. I mean, there was a whole bunch of different things. But I also thought that it was a PR issue, too, just to get more people hyped for the movie. You know, you have to see this movie. It's a one-of-a-kind experience, you know. So it's I think to scare your balls off. And that's the one thing I didn't bring up last week that I wanted to bring up is Slenderman, which is a movie that got released last week, PG-13 Horror. But it was banned in Milwaukee County and Waukega County, Wisconsin, because of the murder, not murder investigation, but it was an attempted murder that happened with three teenage girls. I don't know if you guys know about that. It was done in the I know, I know, I know all about that. Yeah, the three girls that went out into the woods and they tried to sacrifice one of their friends, the Slender Man. Uh, they went on trial and they're in jail now. The one friend survived after getting stabbed multiple times. Well, the movie companies banned it in those two counties because they felt like it was going to be too much for people to see a movie based on Slender Man after this case. And I think that's only going to make the movie more popular. I think it's going to make more people want to go seek this movie out. because Oh, it's banned in counties? Like, you know, they're banning it because of what happened? Like, I think that's just the hype train really kind of getting momentum. You know, I understand why they did it, but I think it's also going to make the movie more popular with people, especially in Wisconsin. Yeah, I think if it was, you know, any kind of major market state, that would probably be more along the lines of like, you know, somebody trying to push that. This, I just think somebody made a decision somewhere. Somebody protested that they didn't want it somewhere. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. somebody yeah. made a complaint and they, they just said, all right, you know what? Rather than hear people fucking cry about it, they can just go drive across the fucking county line and go see it in another town anyway. So, 
And I think it only builds up this movie. I mean, the reviews aren't that good anyway, but I think it just builds on that film. You know, oh, there's only like four theaters. There's only like four movie theaters in all of Wisconsin anyway, man. So. <laughs> I know. It, it wants to go to Green Bay, then you get lucky. But um, so there was that. But there also, Ghoul, I wanted to turn it to you because I know last week we both kind of wanted to discuss Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the new Quentin Tarantino film that's coming out based on mm-hmm. 1969 and the Manson family. Uh, last week, I put on the Facebook page about uh, Margot Robbie. They showed a picture of her as Sharon Tate. But it was announced today that they actually had cast somebody to play Bruce Lee, the mixed martial artist, you know, champion pioneer of film. Uh, because he was investigated in the murders of the Tate uh, murders at one time by Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski thought that Bruce Lee had something to do with it. At one time. <laughs> so I'm wondering if they're going to include that. But, yeah, they have uh, an actor called Mike Moe, M-O-H. Uh, is going to be playing Bruce Lee. It's going to be a small role. But, yeah, Polanski at the time of the murders actually thought that Bruce Lee had something to do with it and spent a lot of money and a lot of time investigating not only Bruce Lee but a lot of other people in Hollywood thinking that somebody had something to do with it that they knew. But it was, it was Manson. So I wanted to get your – perspective of what you think, not only uh, about Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate, because I think that she looks great. I think that she's going to be a great Sharon Tate for this movie. Listen, she's a very, very beautiful young woman. Um, she's also, you know, from the, the roles that I've seen her in, you know, I, it's going to be interesting to see her doing something that should be a little bit more uh, rangy. You know, I mean, so far, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I've only seen The Wolf of Wall Street, and I've seen her in Suicide Squad. Uh, anything else I've seen her in, I don't know that I've seen her in it. Um, right. So, I mean, that could be a good thing. That could be a bad thing. Yeah, I know she's hot and takes clothes off a lot in Wolf of Wall Street. She's fucking great. Um, you know, as far as Suicide Squad goes, yeah, she played a, a good Harley Quinn. Um, you know, but th- this should be good. As far as, like, the look of the character, I mean, yeah, they can dress her up and, you know, do this and that. She's... Obviously, women today don't have the same, or at least the women in Hollywood today, don't have the same appeal qualities as the women did back then. Um, I know when you were trading back and forth with messages with that, you know, and obviously she does not share the same facial features or the same structure. Um, You know, Sharon Tate, you know, I think of Valley of the Dolls. I think of the girls from the movie Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. You know, that whole Mm -hmm. entire era was, you know, chicks with big bosoms and gigantic, beautiful eyes, and and that's what everything was. Whereas Margot Robbie's got, you know, I think she's, what, from New Zealand or Australia or something like that. She's got smaller eyes. She's got, you know, smaller features overall. Role. Um, not knocking her for it though. If, if you know she's going to portray the role, she's going to portray the role. This is a Tarantino film, so we know that you know from from Quentin's past work that it's all about big characters, and you know it yeah. always seems that whatever the film is going to be, it's other things that steal the show. So I really have a feeling like this is really going to be more about kind of a look into Hollywood in general at that time and probably not have as much focus on these murders and everything else. I have a feeling like that's just kind of the MacGuffin that everything is going around. Um, So we'll see, though. You know what I mean? It it will be what it will be. And as far as Bruce Lee being in it, I mean, you know, it's, uh, again, you know, you're in that era and – you know, Tarantino loves to have those little types of things in there, you know, 
what better thing to do than have, you know, Bruce Lee. Yeah, but in real life, he <laughs> was attached to the Polanski and, and Tate because he taught Kung Fu and Karate to, to Polanski, and he was also with Sharon Tate in a movie. I can't remember the movie off the top of my head, but he was in the movie with her uh, right before her death. So he was attached to that family, and he actually went to her mm-hmm. funeral. So it's not like Bruce Lee just shows up and all of a sudden, fuck, it's Bruce Lee. He actually had something to do with the family, and he was, you know, hanging out with them, friends with them. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see what Quentin Tarantino does. And this is what we talked about, Google, is that it's not going to be about Mansion, this movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He said it's going to be about 1969 and that era of, of sex, drugs, and rock and roll in Hollywood. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they really kind of portray Manson because he hasn't been cast yet. So I'm looking forward to seeing who they cast as Manson. Oh. If it's going to be a big actor, if it's going to be a no-name, you know, and seeing what they Or do. like we said, there's a couple of actors that are involved with this movie that have not been given yet who... They possibly yeah, are. Uh, well, Kurt, me, Kurt Russell, um, Timothy Oliphant, and James mm-hmm. Marsden are uh, are the three that I remember seeing on the uh, the cast list, and they are not. You know, there's no attachments to who they're portraying in the film. Right. Um, so yeah, I wanted to get uh, the doc's perspective on this, especially with those three cast members. Do you think any of them could pull off Manson? You know, if that's who they're going to be. Because I think there's a couple of interesting, you know, notes in that, with, with especially with uh, Kurt Russell and uh, James Marsden. I mean, look, anybody they cast is going to, you know, we're talking about professional actors, you know. Uh, I feel that anyone that Tarantino is going to choose, Tarantino is going to choose uh, the right person. Uh, one thing Tarantino, one of the many things that Tarantino has always been outstanding at, uh, has when it comes when it comes to casting. Um, if this movie is going to be about uh, that whole era and not just about Manson and the murders, then it's not even necessarily a situation where you're going to have to have someone on screen playing Charles Manson for for long periods of time or long stretches of time. Right. So I think that's something to take into consideration also. Especially because next year is the 50th anniversary of those murders. So I'm wondering if he's planning on releasing it around that time. I mean, that would be fucking genius on his part. If he's releasing mean, it another, an, another thing, I mean, to even kind of expand upon what the doctor's saying with that, realistically, Tarantino could play the Manson role as he played oh. the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. No, I'm not saying he would play Charles Manson. No, I'm talking I'm about he would play it. Like yeah. the briefcase yeah. in Pulp Fiction. And you know, you know Manson exists in this world, but it doesn't necessarily right. mean we ever have to see an actor <laughs> portraying him. He could always yeah. take yeah. clips from newsreels and interject them in there so that you're actually just seeing Charles Manson himself in little snips and pieces, you know, never actually just saying a line for this film just to show that he existed in this right. world. Go ahead, Doc. Just to, just to add in there, I just want to say that the official release date is July 26th, 2019. That's pretty close. Because the actual murders took place on August 9th and 10th of 1969. So that's pretty close. Yeah, it's only a month off. But, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I mean, that's a great idea, Ghoul. I think that I kind of hope that they do that. Rather than cast somebody as Manson, just have clips. Just have them be kind of like a ghost in the background. As like a specter. Mm-hmm. 
you know, not as an actual actor playing the character, but have the specter, you know, that's always there. Is it Marcellus Wallace's soul? <laughs> yep. Just like in, in Pulp Fiction, you never found out what was in that briefcase. Is Marcellus Wallace a bitch? <laughs> Is that what he looks like? Are we, are we cool, man? No. <laughs> yeah. No, he gets some lucky R thrown out the window. <laughs> that would be true. Yeah, Ving Rains is Charles Manson. <laughs> to get medieval on his ass. Oh, that would be awesome, We're, man. That would that would really right. go against casting, man. I would take oh, okay, Ving Rains as Charles Manson. Q, <laughs> yeah. get it done. QT, let's go. Y'all motherfuckers need to find these people. Let's do something creepy, motherfuckers. This is a damn. I like it. <laughs> Ving Rains is Charles Manson. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, Ving Ving Rains is Charlie Moe and fucking uh, Jamie uh, Jamie Fox as Tex, dude, and, and we're good. Oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> yep. I would be so into that. You can That's dress up in his Django stage. fucking his Django gear and he'd be perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm Tex, y'all. I'm here to kill some motherfuckers. Damn, Jimmy Fox. I'm telling you. Just uh, I, I really I really wish I was a more creative person sometimes and that, you know, I, I did have less regard for my, my living well being because just more than mm-hmm. anything, man, when, when Mo played in Philly for Halloween and they decided yeah. for the two shows it was going to be a Quentin Tarantino theme. Mm-hmm. First thing that popped into my head was night one. I wanted to go full on blackface as Django, the slave, <laughs> and then night two I would go full on blackface as Django, the fucking bounty hunter. Unleashed, just, just, <laughs> yeah. just, just the notion of it though. Just thinking about walking through Philadelphia in slave chains and blackface, I just really did not think that would go over very well. Regardless of whatever you kind of the right was story. going on in the show. Yeah. I know. I know. Like I said, or you I wish I was on, more you know. creative and had less regard for my well-being. Or you could just be Hans Landa from Inglorious Bastards and just dress up like a fucking Nazi. Like, oh, it's fucking Hans Landa. Like, <laughs> haven't you ever seen Inglorious Bastards? <laughs> I'm sh- I'm sure there were plenty of those though, you know what I mean? Like those those are the kind of costumes that would have come out, but you know mm-hmm. I think somebody, hi boobies, um somebody in full on blackface <laughs> would have been you know next level, uh, blackface and chains, but would have been next level <laughs> yeah, no, type of deal. Not just blackface but chains. Um, so Doc, what do you have for us uh, from your side of the uh, horror news? Jeez, like I don't have anything uh, else. I mean, fuck you guys, man. Did you? I don't know. I just, you know. Oh, then, sure then please, cool. What, what else do you have for us this evening? Dude, I heard Train to Busan's getting a sequel. Yeah, how weird is that? Train to Busan's getting a sequel. I mean, the first one's great, but I don't know if they're going to be able to make a suitable sequel. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily say the first one was great. It was fun. I would. Uh, yeah. You know, it definitely. It certainly, for an Asian film, had some some crossover appeal and you know garnered mm-hmm. a bit of a worldwide audience. Uh, so much so that there was a uh, animated prequel uh, that was released yeah. uh, that for that. But uh, yeah, there's going to be a train to to Busan sequel, uh, tentatively titled as Peninsula, uh, with mm-hmm. the original writer and director, uh, you know, taking the reins once again. No, yeah, Very I mean, neat. You know, I, 
I've only made it through about 20 minutes of that first movie. Um, mm-hmm. Just pretty much, I think, as the the outbreak is beginning, is pretty much where I, I kind of fell asleep and uh, just <laughs> have not yet to, have not yet returned to it. So okay, yeah, you got to get it a shot. It, it's yeah. It's I mean, look, it was. It's it's worth it's worth checking out. It's worth revisiting if you haven't yeah. seen it all the way through. It's certainly a fun ride. Uh, I would disagree with the ghoul. I mean, the king. I wouldn't necessarily call it a great movie, but uh, mm. for what it is, I yeah. certainly was was enjoyable. And it was it's, it's not very long. I think it's only eighty minutes, so it's like short yeah. fun, uh, short fun ride for for sure. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. Is that, uh, what else do you have, ghoul? And then my last thing, I do I, I do actually have one final thing, and that's only because it ties impressive. into wrestling as well. Very I guess Kevin Smith is putting his hand back into horror yet again. Oh, I saw that. Supposedly oh. Chris, Chris Jericho is filming a horror movie with him. So a little Y2J with some fucking Kevin Smith. And I don't know. We'll see. I, I hope we get a fucking J Muse type of dressed up as Chris Jericho type of deal, that would be fun because, you know, he kind of looks like a skinny version of him back in the day. Well, and it is interesting that you brought that up because it's called Tilroy Was Here, uh, which is based on the World War II graffiti of Tilroy Was Here. Uh, it's going to be an anthology-type creature feature uh, where Kevin Smith said that 70% of the film was shot by the actors themselves, uh, working as cameramen and crew and even Chris Jericho who plays the character was a cameraman for a decent part of his, uh, you know, participation in the film. So huh. he wanted to have everybody not just act, but also act as crew members too, for what Horror he considers a creep show type of film. Would love to see it. Uh, and, and I think it's going to be great. You know, I mean, I, you know, Kevin Smith has dabbled in horror before uh, with Tusk and, uh, you know, not necessarily Red State, uh, which I consider a horror film in a lot of ways. Um, but you know he knows what he's doing, so I'm looking forward I've to seeing what he recently, has to bring. And you know what? Watching Red State, knowing full well what you're watching, you know, like when I saw Red State the first time, I was you know heavily mm-hmm. listening to the Smodcast, and I remember Kevin talking, you know, at length about you know, hey, I'm filming this movie, and you know, it's just him and Mosher just conversating. You know, it's not like he's promoting, so so to speak. But, you know, they were just talking about it, and he's like, yeah, he's right. like, you know, it's weird, it's like a horror movie, and this and that, and I remember it getting promoted as such, and I remember when it got released on, like, DVD or whatever, I think I got it from, like, a red box or, or whatever, and uh, right. I remember watching it and thinking, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't consider this a horror film, but then, you know, now watching it, and again, seeing it, knowing exactly what it is that I am watching, yeah, I guess it does fall into that kind of thriller type yeah. of movie, which yeah. would skew towards horror because of the little extra bits of gore that's in there. Um, you know, I don't hate it as much as I did the first time around. I've actually kind of grown to appreciate, you know, what mm-hmm. it is as a window into, uh, like I've said, you know, it's kind of like, I guess, Kevin Smith's idea of what the Waco situation would have been like. That's yeah, what I took it as. Kind of that. Yeah. He um he disappointed me though when he uh, contributed to the holidays anthology. I don't know if you guys have seen that, mm-hmm. where it's the horror anthology based on the holidays. Um, he did Halloween. Oh, I thought you meant the Kate Winslet movie. No, not that one. That's yeah, that's the one with Jack Black and uh, Cameron Diaz. Not the same one. <laughs> but he did uh, a Halloween entry. And it was terrible. Like, even people online were saying, Kevin Smith, you're better than this. 
Like, you know, you had Halloween as your entry. You couldn't have done something better. It's just, it's a miserable segment. There's a lot of other better segments in holidays, the anthology, but his was probably the worst. And I was kind of hoping for better, but, you know, he, he did what he did. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with Kilroy this year, you know, as an anthology. He only directed one segment. Um, he's leaving it up to other people to direct the others. So I'm looking forward to seeing what, what comes up, especially with Chris Jericho. I'll watch anything Chris Jericho's in. Yeah, he's a funny, funny dude, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, st- I still, absolutely. to this day, just absolutely crack up listening to that time on Opie and Anthony when he came in as <laughs> yeah. Moon Goose McQueen and he's talking mm-hmm. about Fozzie and he's refusing to answer to anything other than Moon Goose, you know, so fucking in character, would not break her for anything to the point that, you know, he fucking <laughs> ended up getting pissed at them and stormed out and didn't talk to them for like a year or two <laughs> after that. Yeah, just trying to be completely character as his Fozzie frontman character. I remember that as well. Um, but and also wrestling wise, you know, Jim the Anvil Nighthard passed away this week. So that was not necessarily a hard hit for me, but that's the last of the Hart Foundation, other than Bret Hart. That's still living. Yeah. Which is kind of depressing. Uh, every, every, every member, man. I mean, except for the new Hart Foundation, you know, which is like Natalia and whatnot. But uh yeah, no, I remember, you know what, as a kid you know, the Hart Foundation was one of those tag teams. You know, I remember them matching up with, like, the British Bulldogs and stuff like that. They were a great mm-hmm. tag team when tag teams meant something in the WWE. Um, oh, yeah. You know, never during those times would I have looked at that team and said, oh, yeah, Bret Hart's going to go on and become fucking, you know, a superstar on his own and a world champion and this and that. Uh, but, that, behold, that is what he ended up doing. But yeah, no. Back then, you know, they they were a force to be reckoned with, man, and they they were fucking damn good at it. You know, the Anvil was a solid worker, and you know that's uh, that's what I hope he'll be remembered as. Yeah, and he was he worked best when he was with the Hart Foundation. You know, before that, when he was in tagging teams, you know, he was never really a presence. But when he entered the Hart Foundation, like he was actually good, winning matches and being a personality. But to think about that, that every member of the Hart Foundation now is deceased except for Bret Hart. I mean, it's kind of a hard hit, you know, for a wrestling fan <laughs> to think that they're all gone now except for Bret Hart. Indeed. And, you know, what, Bret, you know, Bret is Bret. So hopefully he's around for a while. You know, he's the, the best he is, the best there was, and the best that will ever be. So there will be. According to him. According to him. Uh, before we get into the movie tonight, I wanted to see if you had uh, an article you wanted to bring up with us, uh, then we can get into the movie. Yes. So, Take it away, sir. Uh, uh, you know, the a very impressive showing by the ghoul, uh, who addressed several things that I had uh, on my list as well, including the nun and... Uh, Train to Busan and uh, everything. So well done. Uh, a, a nice surprise. Uh, one of the things that, that I want to talk about is uh, as we have been talking about with Halloween being the direct sequel to the original movie and cutting out everything right. that's come before, and now that's happening with uh, with Terminator, uh, where everything aside from the first two movies is being cut out. And we've talked about how uh, Blomkamp wants to uh, bring back RoboCop and cut out everything but the first movie. Uh, He stated uh, either yesterday or today uh, that in his mind, the 
to, to go ahead as he works on this project that the only person uh, to play RoboCop is Peter Weller. Uh, it is his really? want to bring Peter Weller back. So that would be, I think that would be pretty cool. Um, so I saw that today. Um, you know, not something I feel we need to spend a lot of time talking about, but I feel that that was pretty interesting. And I am all for that. If, uh, you know, I don't, I don't even know the last time I saw that guy, but uh, it would be I cool was for say, Peter Weller. Like, to... isn't, he, isn't he fucking ancient at this point? And I mean, really? Well, does, yeah. does RoboCop age? That is the question here. Because I thought, I thought the, the flesh, the skin was just the face and that was it. That's it was right. stretched over the entire thing. It's not like his head is in a helmet. You know, yeah, look, certain parts of them were reused. He shouldn't age. Right. Right. You're only going to see space over robot. Uh, You know, he's 71. Um, Yeah. You know, it's not going to be a 71 year old man walking around inside a robot outfit. Uh, It was his likeness put over uh, machinery, uh, which, you know, they can totally do with him participating and and his voice uh, and all of that. So. You know what? If Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, is once again going to be the Terminator and uh, Sylvester Stallone is once again going to be Rambo, why can't Peter Weller be RoboCop? It's like, Robo, you know, like it, it makes sense with Schwarzenegger because it's a fucking cyborg and, you know, yeah. uh, and everything. So, yeah, I think, that, I think the, that it makes sense with the Terminator because the Terminator does actually age the robot mm-hmm. inside of it. You know, obviously can wear down, but the flesh, the, the synthetic flesh that they have coating the exoskeleton ages like any normal person. It's going to decay. So that makes perfect sense. And I mean, as far as Sylvester Stallone playing Rambo, I mean, you know, he's going to do that until he's in a fucking wheelchair. And even then, we're still going to see him have rockets in it. Yeah. So anyway, I think that would be pretty cool to see Peter Weller uh, come back. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think it would be great. I mean, plus with all the technology that they have nowadays, like you were saying, Doc, you know, they could use his likeness. Uh, they could do a lot in ADR with his voice, you know, to be the voice of RoboCop. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that they can do where he doesn't actually have to wear all that shit that he wore back in the 80s. And I would love uh, for him to be back, you know, in essence as RoboCop. But, you know, time will tell. That's even if Peter Weller wants to do it again. You know, he may not even be interested in reprising, you know, that role whether it's just in voice only. Mm-hmm. Very true. But that's who they want. Well, that's who Bunkham wants. As long as okay. it stays to that... I don't care who is playing RoboCop, as long as, you know, he's got, I guess, similar look and design, and as long as... Oh, yeah, well, yeah, I guess he's older, but either way. Um, but as long as it... Like we said originally, as long as it stays to that same gritty... Dirty, violent, you know, biting sarcasm. That was that original film, man. Yeah, I agree. All All right, Doc, so what else do you have? I agree. So uh, we all know how terrible Jaws the Revenge is. Oh, Uh, no. (laughs) So I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, some special effects company called CKVFX uh, they Kill took the sequence. Father, Michael. <laughs> they took the the Kill sequence. You remember the <laughs> uh, a great white shark mom has has never been in these waters. It's too warm. Uh, now, <laughs> hey, it's just sequence. a scratch, man. <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing? Why am I here? I don't want to follow the plane. 
Michael you know, Caine. Michael Caine. Michael Caine says that he's never seen it, but he's seen the house that the check that bought. he got for that movie oh, paid yeah. for. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he is mm-hmm. not like afraid famous, to say that. Yeah. No, it's like a famous Michael Caine quote. But anyway, uh, so the sequence in that movie when Mike Brody is in like the kind of half submersible thing uh, underwater mm-hmm. with his scuba tank and the shark attacks it and he gets out and swims away. He swims into uh, a sunken ship and like the shark is pushing through and then he turns his scuba tank upside down and like knocks the, the top off of it and uses the propulsion to fly himself up to the surface to get away. You know, remember that sequence? Yes. Yes. I remember that. That just had, like, the most horrific... I mean, the whole movie had horrific shark effects, but that (laughs) particular sequence had truly horrific effects. This company, uh, CKV Effects, they took that... I don't know why they chose that sequence, but they (laughs) they took that sequence and they redid the shark effects. Uh, So when you go and watch their video of it, they, they do it in, like, a a, a vertical, I'm sorry, a horizontal split screen uh, with the two scenes side by side <laughs> with the original effects, with the original effects and their improved effects. Uh, you know, so you can watch both of them at the same time. Uh, you know, it's 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 a, it's a minor curiosity to see. Like, it, it, I don't think it matters. I don't know why they would choose to do that, but um, I came upon that yesterday and thought it was thought it was kind of weird and interesting to watch. So if uh, that sounds like it's something that appeals to you in any way, uh, with just a few punches of the buttons, I'm sure you can see it. But, uh, well, I hope you put that on the Talking Terror Facebook page. So you can find uh, I have not done so, but I can certainly do that in just a moment. And then I have uh, one final thing. I can, I can see the clock, and I, 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 can, I can maybe sense the, the anxiety starting to build within you because we need not to get to the movie. Uh, <laughs> but, I'm good. So, yeah. uh, this is actually... Uh, the first that I had heard of this, and uh, maybe this is something that will sound familiar to you guys, but apparently Universal Studios in Orlando uh, for 25 years now has been doing something in October called Halloween uh, Horror Nights, uh, yes. where they mm-hmm. do some kind of big-themed uh, horror, scary-based stuff around Halloween, uh, the holiday um, you know, and every year it's something different, and sometimes it's thematic with different films. Uh, so this year, uh, Universal Studios Orlando Halloween Horror Nights is paying tribute to Halloween 4. And what they have done is they have created a full life-size maze and recreation of areas of Haddonfield in this maze uh, that starts with... Uh, Michael Myers' escape and his first victims at the the Penny's gas station and diner, and you go through all of this and then a maze around the Haddonfield neighborhood, and there's uh, performers along the way that will be Loomis and some of the other characters in the film. Uh, It's like a big interactive movie maze uh, based on Halloween 4. And, uh, you know, given all of the hoopla... Uh, well, I guess if the, the, the movie coming isn't involved with Universal, then it, then it makes sense. But it's just such a curiosity to me that they would have chosen Halloween 4 for this. But uh, there's a trailer for this thing uh, that's out there. I didn't watch it yet, but I, I just thought that this sounded like so strange and kind of cool. So I wanted to throw that out there and see if you guys had heard anything about that. Uh, I did. Um, I haven't seen the trailer yet, but I did see somebody post it on Facebook earlier that they were doing Halloween 4. 
Um, I know that last year or the year before they did Halloween 2 uh, in the hospital at Hensfield Memorial Hospital and going around in this big maze uh, that they made up. But uh, it'll be interesting to see because Michael's first victims in Halloween 4 are in the ambulance where he shoves a thumb through one of the doctor's foreheads and then he kills everybody else in the ambulance and it drops off the bridge. Um, that's where a woman finds the ambulance flipped over with nobody in it, and he's just deciding that he has to go back to Haddonfield to figure out where Michael's going to be next. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Halloween 4, but I think as a, as a maze, it might be all right. I just I, I hope you. that there's going to be Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Lloyd at some point just up like a clown trying to kill people, <laughs> you know, with a pair of scissors. That would be cool. Well, it's... It also makes sense to do Halloween four because it's the thirtieth year anniversary of it. So, That's right. Yeah. I mean that right there is also a little factor I would think, besides the fact that obviously you got a new Halloween movie. But even without that, you know, with the uh exorbitant amount of sequels that have occurred, I I like Halloween four. I've always been a fan of that one, like it a hell of a lot oh, more than Season of the Witch. Um, you know, I, you know, as much as I might've been disappointed with its continuation in five, um, I did really, really enjoy four and, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, definitely sounds like it would be a cool time, man. I didn't mind four. It's just a mask, you know, it just gets me every single time. It's just such a piss poor mask that they use. I in that couldn't one. care That's fucking the... less, dude. Listen, he could put a fucking bag over his head. As long as he's killing people, <laughs> it's all good, man. Yeah. Just, I'm, I'm a sucker for the mask. And that's what I said about Halloween, this one that's coming out in October. I think it's as close as you're going to get to that original Don Post, Captain, uh, you know, Captain Kirk mask that they use in the original. I'm all about the mask. And I feel like what? they, they should, should never just talk to right. Shatner and do a mask of his face now and have Michael wear <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. And that'll look like the mask is actually aged because it would actually be the person that it was right. based on to begin with. Well, and that was the whole thing about the Halloween movies is that every sequel that they made, they made a mold of the actor that was playing Michael Myers, the stuntman that was playing Michael Myers, they made a mold of his face to do it. So it was never quite the, the, the Shatner mask that they used in the first one. It was always a mold of the actor that was playing the character. So that's why it took away from looking like the original. But, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what they could do with Halloween 2018 with that mask. It just looks yeah, I think it's like the hockey mask and Friday the 13th. As much as I, you know, appreciated the little bits and pieces of continuity as far as where it was chipped, where it was cut, what color the fucking triangles were, the reality is they were never the same fucking mask, man. Because if you really looked at each movie, it was either a little bit wider, a little bit thinner, a little bit longer, yeah, shorter, different. and so forth. There was always a difference to it. So as iconic as, you know, the Michael Myers look is, it's the look, I think, that's more important than the actual... Like the right. actual shape and gauntness yeah. of the mask. It's, you know, can the mask get the black eyes right? You know, like that's what mm. I didn't like with certain ones, that you could see the eyes. Oh, in five, especially. Like Where they blacked out the eyes in part five. And that was terrible. So I don't know who made that decision to black out the eyes, but it just it made no Oh, sense. I don't see. I actually prefer it when you can't see the eyes. That's what I'm saying. I hate when you can see them. Like, I don't want to see any skin. I don't want to see any eyes. Like, you know, when they want to do a close-up, fine. If you can see a hint of an eye or something like that. Right. I think Michael Myers is most effective when there is nothing inside that mask. You know, even though you mm. know that's a living, breathing, walking human being, 
you're looking at that face, and it's a shadow that is walking towards you to take your life. Right. Yeah. I mean, in that sense, I get it, but at the same time, I kind of like that eye. Because that's the only sense of a person behind that mask that you get is that little bit of eye, you know. And, and, you know, they did it with Jason with the mask, you know, and he had the one eye poked out and he had the one eye, but they never really show it, which is good. But with Michael, I feel like you need to see those eyes so you can see that there is somebody behind that mask and it's just completely evil. So that's why I kind of like seeing the eyes. And I felt like with five, it just missed that mark. And even in six, they didn't really show the eyes that much, if at all. I, mean, I can't even remember them showing the eyes in that one. Don't know. I, I, I bet you Jamie in the uh, director's cut or whatever, the producer's cut, she saw those eyes. Cut. She oh, saw yeah. those eyes real close. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I'm so having your you cousin, uncle. <laughs> whatever uncle Spooky. Whatever, you know, whatever his name was in that one. <laughs> yep. Uncle Spooky but, Man. You gotta so, be yeah. the daddy uncle. <laughs> so you know, where do you weigh in on that, uh, Doc? You know, with the with the Michael Myers mask, does it matter to you what the mask looks like, or you just want to see Michael kill a bunch of people? Yeah, it matters to me what they look like because with every movie aside from the first one, they mm-hmm. kind of look like shit. Yeah. Um, and I feel that sometimes uh, that takes away uh, not not as much. Uh, which one, uh, and I can't, I always forget if it's four or five. Which is the one where there's a sequence where, uh, it's, I don't remember if Loomis was with the cops or if the cops were out, or maybe uh, when all the townspeople were driving around with pickup trucks with shotguns when, like, Michael Myers started appearing, like, all over the place. Like he was in the gazebo, and he was behind the bushes, he walked out from behind, and there was, like, five or six of them standing around. Uh, that was part mm-hmm. four. It was the kids doing yeah. the prank. That was four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that was part of I always forget if that was four or five. Yeah, like, the mask looked terrible in that movie. Um, I, I remember it looking terrible in five as well. Like, it, it never looked as good to me as the first movie, so it certainly matters. Uh, I, don't, I don't think, for me, it's a matter of just, oh, uh, Michael Myers is here and killing people. Like, right. if the mask looks like shit, it takes away. Yeah, I think in, in, in part six, I got a little bit close what well, that's like the worst movie ever made. I would ra- I would watch Jaws the Revenge five times well, before I watch Halloween. Six. I'm not talking about how great the movie is. I'm talking about the Ouch. mask itself. Like I felt like the yeah. mask itself was pretty close to what the original one looked like. So I'm serious about that. I'm serious <laughs> yeah. about that. Well, neither here nor there. So uh, you know, before we get to the movie, Doc, if you, have, if you don't have anything else you want to talk about, let's get into the Gate from '87. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, go for it, man. The gate from '87. You don't have any okay. other news? No. <laughs> Usually that means that the ghoul did not like the movie, so he wants to talk about something else. But we'll figure out what he, where he's at. Um, so yeah, the gate from 1987, directed by Tibor Takis. Who's uh, playing about, bongo drums, man? Cut it out, Matthew McConaughey. I keep hearing that too. Yeah, now I'm hearing it. All right, now it's stopped. Okay. It was the right, So, fucking California. Sorry, I was just, I was just, no, I was just, I was, uh, I was tightening my mic stand. Mm-hmm. I apologize. Okay. All right. Well, that's fine. Uh, so, Bongo, hippie. <laughs> so, after an old tree is removed from the ground, uh, friends Glenn and Terry accidentally release a horde of nasty pint sized minions from a hole in their backyard. 
what follows is a classic battle between good and evil as three kids, which is the sister of Glenn, Alexandra, Terry, try to overcome a nightmarish hell that is literally the making nice over Terry. Terry. So we're going to talk about it. So uh, the reason I picked it is because I had talked about it on the show a couple of years ago with Mad Monkey um, for a kid-friendly horror episode that we did because this movie was marketed towards kids back in the 80s. It's rated PG-13. They tried to market it towards kids to get more kids to go to the theater to see horror movies. Uh, it's a movie that stuck with me when I was a kid because when I was left alone with my parents working, my brother out somewhere hanging out with friends, all I had was movies. And this was one that was on HBO a lot back in the late 80s, early 90s. And I remember watching it and thinking it was just such a good movie because I related to the characters a lot. Um, and actually watching Stranger Things, I kind of think that Stranger Things owes a lot to the gate as well in terms of kids going up against the ultimate evil with no parents around to save them. So I know everybody talks about the Goonies with Stranger Things, Monster Squad, but I think that the gate, uh, you know, the should be The parents are always helping the kids in Stranger Things, though. I mean, Winona Ryder is an important character. The sheriff is an important character. There's adults present in Stranger Things, man. See, I always felt like it was the kids, though. I mean, the the, the parents and, and Hopper and Winona Ryder's character, they're there, but I felt like it was always the kids that really knew what was going on and really knew what to do to stop the things. But I, I think that the gate, you know, should be included in that conversation. Um, so what do you think about uh, the gate? Oh, okay. Um, this movie, for me, falls into one of those categories in which I wish I saw it when I was younger. Um, mm-hmm. My first viewing of this from start to finish was actually just a couple of months ago. Um, I've obviously seen clips of the movie. I've seen parts of the movie. I've heard about the movie for years. You know, there was even a period of time where I thought I might have seen the movie. Um, But, you know, because, again, it's kid-friendly horror, and, you know, Samantha is a fan of horror films and stuff like that. Um, Right. You know, even though she's already watched the new It, um, but mostly through a pillow, uh, but, you know, we, <laughs> yeah. we can have her watch something that was a little more kid-friendly. Uh, the Ghoul Girl is a huge fan of The Gate. You know, this is one of her favorite oh, films yeah. from this time period. Um, mm-hmm. And again, for me, though, it's one of those where I just wish I had seen it then because I think I would have a little bit more of that nostalgic appreciation for it than I did right. with the filtered eyes that I do now. Um, that being right, said, right. Not a terrible film. It's definitely entertaining, but it's not something that you know. I'm not going to seek out to watch this on a yearly basis. If it's on, if it's not, it's not. I would change the channel type of deal. It's got some fun parts. I think the younger sister is kind of hot, um, or whatever the, the teenage sister is kind of Alexandra. Aside from that, yeah. though, uh, you know, it, it's got some cool claymation effects. Well, and that's the, that's the one thing I did want to bring up, because I know that you said that last week, that you had seen it when you were in your 20s. Um, you didn't watch it to completion until just recently with Sammy um, and Bonnie. And that's the thing. This movie, I think, you know, it's a, it's a period of time where you have to watch it. Like, I, I watched it back in the early 90s when I was a kid, and that's why it stuck with me so long. If I watched it when I was in my 20s like you did, I don't know if it would stick with me as much as it did. So I definitely think it's, it's a period of the time uh, when you can watch this movie and kind of relate to the characters and kind of dig what's going on 
So I definitely think that's true, what you said, Ghoul, that you need to be age-appropriate to kind of appreciate this movie and carry on. So with that said, Doc, what would you think about The Gate? Uh, you know, this is a this is an interesting one because unlike The Ghoul, this is one that I had seen uh, back in the 80s. Uh, after, I didn't see in the theater, but uh, through the magic right. of cable TV in the late 1980s. Uh, this is one <laughs> that it must be the king. Uh, this is one that uh, I have seen easily when I was a kid like 20 times. And right. it's interesting because I when I put this movie on, and I haven't seen it probably since that time period. Uh, when I was getting ready to watch it, uh, you know, and put it on, I remembered uh, what, what in God's going name on back is there. that sound? It's like the, the kids downstairs, they can't, apparently they don't have a bedtime, so they're running around downstairs playing with like little trucks and stuff like that, and they're running around and screaming, and I cannot get away from the sound, so I'm trying to find like, a quiet place in my apartment <laughs> to sit down, and all I hear is them screaming are they and playing, having fun Are they outside. playing with their trucks in your living room? No, they're literally Sounds right downstairs. Like they're fucking sucking up a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> I'm in my kitchen, and all I hear is, Burr, and they're just running around outside with all their parents out. I'm like, can you go the fuck to bed? Like, it's like 10 o'clock, guys. Wrap it up with your goddamn kids. <laughs> but so I'm trying to find a quiet spot. See, uh, but, you yeah. had to go with kid-friendly horror. Look what happens. I know, exactly. So uh, go ahead, Doc, continue. I'm sorry. I'll try to find a quieter spot. Yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I'm just busting balls. But, uh, you know, it's one that I haven't seen in, you know, it could be 30 years. And I am uh, getting ready to watch it, and I put it on. Like, I remember exactly what the characters look like. I remember the setting, uh, you know, what the house looked like and everything as I'm watching it. But there are just so many things from the plot and the story that yeah. even and, and even as I'm watching it that I had – no recollection of whatsoever. Uh, so, you know, it was weird in that it was all so familiar, but in a way also kind of like I was watching it for the first time. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there were positives to that and there are negatives to that. One, it's it's funny all this time later watching Stephen Dorff as a little kid. That's <laughs> uh, a midget. Such a, <laughs> such a bizarre-looking bizarre kid, man. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and you know, I'd have to I'd have to pull it up and take a look. But if um, and I know it wasn't Stephen Dorff, but I feel like uh, his appearance, uh, I feel like he looked very similar to the kid who had the comic books in, uh, you know, the stories in between the stories in Creepshow Two. Yes. I would have to pull oh, that up and take yeah. a look. But I'm watching uh, this kid. I'm like, oh hairstyle. man, like, he looks like this. Yeah, he looks like the kid, and then maybe the nose a little bit too. I was like, oh, it kind of looks like the wasn't kid. That- anyway. Uh, wasn't that Joe oh, King or something like that? Wasn't that one of Owen King's King. kids? Owen yep, King. That was Owen King. Yeah. Oh, all mm-hmm. right then. So anyway, uh, this was interesting viewing to me. Uh, there are things about it that I that I like. There are things about it that it, it it's a little bit difficult to watch now, given it it's it's certainly dated. Uh, you know, but it was it was fun to. You know, quality aside, it was fun to revisit something uh, with fresh eyes uh, that I know that I had seen and, and used to love very much. 
so that was an interesting exercise. So I, I definitely enjoyed watching it. And it's a Canadian horror film. So, you know, apparently, hey, Canada, at least you got something going for you. At the gate back in 87. So, you know, we're not all bad with Canadian horror films. Um, but the, the one thing that I kind of, I watched it now uh, for the show, and I got it back then when I was a kid, is that there is that sense of, you know, your parents aren't going to be around to help you when you want them the most. Um, you know, whether it's the ultimate evil, like we get in the gate, or if it's something simple. Um, you know, there's plenty of times where Glenn says to Al, you know, I want to call mom and dad. Like, I, I don't like this. You know, I feel like we should call them. And she's like, you're not going to call them. I'll take care of this, you know, this stuff, and it's fine. You don't have to call them. So having the parents kind of go away for a three-day vacation, I think, adds to the film because you don't have any parents there to kind of handle the situation. You don't have dad there to make everything okay. It's up to you as a child to kind of, of deal with this situation. And it's a, it's a big order for a kid. You're going to have to deal with the ultimate evil coming up from the ground of your backyard and having his minions kind of come up. And I don't know if you guys got that when you watched it, because I know we're all older, you know, and I watched it when I was a kid and I got that, but I kind of got it this time around. You know, it's not abandonment necessarily, but it is, you know, there's nobody, there's no lifeline here. You guys are on your own. Well, they could have called the parents at any given time, but the fucking sister wouldn't let them. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But, you know, if you think back to pretty much every kid-centric movie uh, starting in the early to mid-80s, you know, all the way through the end of the 80s, whether it was horror or adventure or whatnot, that was like a super common theme uh, for the kids to be thrust into some kind of circumstance where, uh, you know, whether the parents were on vacation or whatever whatever the plot... Uh, elements of that story were uh, very, very, very common all through the 80s for kids to have to sort themselves out in extraordinary circumstances without any kind of adult figures or parents. Goonies. I mean, there was a ton of films out during this time period, too, you know, which is one of the other reasons why I think this just kind of, like, escaped me at that time frame. Um, Right. You know, looking at this movie now, too, one of the things that I feel like it borrows heavy from, and, I mean, even some of the camera work, it really reminds me of the Evil Dead films. Um, oh, yeah. yeah you know, definitely. plot and everything, you know? These two yeah. kids summon something with a fucking, you know, a book and a record and some other shit, and, you know, geodes, man, because, you know, obviously those <laughs> things happen. But, uh, but yeah, like, you know, just the, the only thing it didn't have was the demonic possession, you know, and even that felt like they were hinting at things like that at times, you know, like the scene with the mom that turns into the dead dog. Um, mm, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I know, I know also like the original script of this was supposed to be a lot darker. Um, oh, I guess yeah. the, uh, yeah. the guy that wrote this was going through like a nasty divorce and he was really at a bad mm. point in his life. So he kind of had shit really going all <laughs> off the rails in this, this original setup where it was, you know, basically by the end of this film, the demons were fucking running rampant throughout the town, dragging people out of their houses and eviscerating them and shit like that. Yeah, well, he also made the kids younger in the script. In his original script, there were eight and nine, and there were brothers. So Glenn and Terry were brothers. There was no Alex character. Um, it was just two brothers. There were eight and nine. And, yeah, the, the demons, when they come out of the ground, they don't just attack them. They attack the entire neighborhood and just eviscerate people and gut them. It was a very, very dark script. 
so he had to do a lot of rewrites to get it. Because one of the first things I said while watching this, especially this time, Stephen Dorff's character, you know, Glenn is supposed to be 12. Um, Mm -hmm. I know Stephen Dorff, you know, just from his age at this point, was like 13, 14-ish. Yes. Um, So, you know, he was definitely the right age to be playing the role. But... You look at uh, like looking at the character. Honestly, like there were times that I'm looking at him thinking, "This kid's like, is he supposed to be like nine or ten? Mm-hmm. He just seemed he did not seem to be a twelve-year-old. Yeah. Like the way he dressed, the way he looked. You know, obviously, again, you can't change who you are physically. You know, especially right. when you're a kid. But he seemed diminutive, and it just. It, it, it was just weird, you know. Maybe it was also the fucking haircut and <laughs> everything about the way he played it felt younger, which I guess goes towards that other script, possibly. You know, maybe that's little things they didn't change about the character came off that way. And you know what? I I did like uh, with with Terry when Terry's kind of fucking with Glenn and he tells him the story about the workman that got killed and all the other workers put him inside the walls of their home because they didn't want to call the police. Um, the father has that one di- line of dialogue when he's talking to Glenn. He's like, yeah, well, you know, uh, you know, Terry's mom died. So it's kind of hard for him to deal with it. So he just acts weird. Don't let him scare you. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I don't think his mom dying would have anything to do with Terry being the way he is. I think Terry is just kind of a little douche, but in a good way. Like he just likes fucking around with Glenn because he knows he can get to him. Because he's got all these records from Europe that his dad brings them, so he's a fucking metal kid. (laughs) And he acts older than a lot of the times. I think the idea, too, though, is, is, you know, you have the absentee parent. You know, in this case, it's not a divorce or anything like that. It's where the mom has passed away. Um, You know, the dad's obviously traveling for work, hence why he's not around. So the kid kind of also acts older than he is because he's kind of on his own for the most oh, yeah. part, you know, and in a lot of ways he's getting, you know, raised with Glenn and them. I mean, he's over the house all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, um, you know, that, that's, that's one of those weird ones because, you know, something like that does actually come up and affect, you know, a kid's overall personality um, and does give them a bit more of a, uh, I don't know, I guess maybe just like a, a little bit of a darker, like, look on things. Maybe, you know, at least yeah. from the experience I've had with it, um, it's, uh, it's you know, there's just always a sullen quality that, that seems to go there no matter what. So, but, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. And this is the one thing I wanted to bring up with the doc. Um, the one thing I love about this movie is that the parents leave, and they're like, okay, we'll see you in three days. Make sure Angus, your dog, gets the pills and everything like that. Immediately, they have this gigantic party in the house. Everybody's smoking cigarettes. Everybody's drinking beer. They're all underage. First of all, you're smoking in a house. (laughs) That smoke stays. I've been in houses, and I smoke myself. There's no way you're getting that smoke smell out of that house by the time your parents come home the following day. But it was the the levitation sequence that I wanted to talk to the doc about because they, they can't lift the one guy because he's too heavy or they don't believe. But when Glenn comes in, they manage to lift him up, and he actually does levitate to the point where he gets scared and has to reach for the light socket and pulls it out of the wall. You know, 
But it's never really brought up again. So did it actually happen, or is this everybody just kind of going, well, you know, it's fine, whatever. But he levitated. Like, it was magic that was happening at that point, but nobody kind of brought it up again. Well, I feel like what, what it's funny, I, you know, that's a, that's a sequence. Uh, that's one of the ones that I had just zero recollection of, even when it was happening. But it's funny mm. because this past, this past school year, I had – uh, a handful of students that were like running around school all the time doing that, uh, like two fingered uh, crowd around light levitation. Stiff as a board, light as a feather. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah uh, so it was funny to see that take place and to see kids doing that. Now, I feel like, uh, you know, that purpose of that levitation with Glenn at that party sequence uh, mm. is, you know, just, you know, moving the plot forward. Uh, I feel that in the context of the movie that it happened uh, just to signify to us that uh, amongst this kind of normal happening where teenagers are having a party, there is something deeper and more fucked up going on. And yes, you know, the light broke and it all, whatever. And, 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 and nobody, nobody talked about it again, but I feel like, you know, but like you said, people are at a party, they're drinking beer, they're hanging out. It's a bunch of teenagers. People are coming and going. I feel like it's just very easily. And then like, obviously the kid that make a thing about it and, you know, it's like, oh, you know, Ali's brother, blah, 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 little baby, uh, mm. you know, and, and then it just moves on. So, like, I, I don't know that there's necessarily anything deeper there that they, uh, you know, for it not being talked about and it just moving on. I feel like that it was just the movie was just moving on, like it served its purpose and then and it was time to move on. Because I did wonder if that was the, the demons, the minions kind of having their influence you know, on this well, that, party. That's what I said. Like, like yeah. that, 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 that sequence, yes, was you know, letting us, the audience, know that within that story that, uh, you know, with the geode and uh, the mysterious circumstances that this, that something is going on. There is something happening here. Because I did, um, I listened to the audio commentary earlier uh, for the film uh, with Tibor Pickaxe and uh, the, uh, the production designers, and they were talking about the scene where Terry has a dream of his mother coming back. And she's standing in the doorway, and she's saying, come on, you know, Terry, I'm here. Give me a hug. And it was essentially the demons playing on the fears of the kids. So you have mm-hmm. Glenn in his room with the moths and the window breaking, and then you have Terry downstairs hugging his mother to the point where it's actually Angus the dog, and he screams, and, and Angus is dead. So it's the demons already, they're there, they're prevalent, but they're not strong enough yet. It's kind of like Freddy in the dream world where he has to get your fears up enough so that they can actually be a physical force. Um, did you guys kind of get that, or was it kind of like, ah, oh, it's just a dream sequence. He's imagining his mom, and it's actually the dog. No, I mean, I took it as, again, that this was, you know, the beginnings of these demons coming in. I don't know if it was a matter of them not being strong enough because the kids weren't afraid or didn't believe yet. I just took it as in they just started coming out so that they were going to be slowly ramping things up. I think the levitation sequence was just kind of showing you that there was a a certain magic or mystical quality that had been unleashed, you know, any normal day, these kids wouldn't have been able to do that. But because of what had been unleashed, they now could, Um, you know, the dream sequence or or whatever with, with Terry. Yeah. I took that as, you know, him, not having a dream, I think the kid went and took a leak, and then, you know, these things were fucking with him, you know? Um, the dog we see laying next to the door of the bathroom, and mm-hmm. he walks out, you know, and then the next thing we see, you know, after the, after he's hugging his mama, 
was, uh, you know, him hugging the dog. And it's it's dead. And that's when you get Glenn and you have Al running downstairs to see that it's dead. <laughs> I do love the handling of poor fucking Angus. This dead 97 in dog years dog that's dead. You know, it's, you know, you would think, hey, you know what? It, we'll bury it in the backyard and we'll tell mom and dad that the dog died. You know, no, 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 no. Al, get your uh, love interest, the guy. He'll take care of it. Go to the, the animal shelter, which is obviously closed. So he has well, to that's go back they wanted to go to the mall. Well, because they wanted to go to the beach, too, but they had to go to the mall first. And I love the one, uh, the Lee sister, that has this, something about Mary hairstyle, where it looks like she just has mm-hmm. that one fucking strand of hair off, 80s style. That is um, Kelly Rowan, man. That is yeah, actress Kelly Rowan. Rowan. Both of the Lee sisters, you know, went on to... You know, I, I wouldn't say important, huge roles, but, you know, I know both of them. I've seen them both in films, in shows, and uh, the uh, the one lead mm-hmm. sister, Doc, is from Eastbound and Down. She's uh, yeah. Kenny's sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. That's where she's from, which is amazing that they went on to do other things other than the gig. Um, you know, obviously Stephen Dorff did, you know, but it, it's hard mm-hmm. to imagine anybody else. Like Lewis Tripp, he did, uh, Terry, he went on to do The Gate 2, The Trespassers, in 1990. And then he became obsessed with Satan. Now he's a, a satanic uh, musician that's on YouTube. So you can find his videos there where he makes his weird fucking uh, songs about Satan. Um, but, uh, you know, it's that whole scene of, of you find out that the, the gate, you know, they put the, uh, the padlock over the hole. Like, that's going to stop the, the minions from coming through. You know, typical kid logic. We'll just put this big-ass, you know, wooden door over it, and that's going to stop everything. It's fine. Because Terry, it in all his metal knowledge, listened to Sacrifix and the Dark Book, which is such an 80s moment, and I love that scene where he's just jamming out to the album, and all of a sudden he has that realization that, holy shit, Sacrifix is right. They know about the gate. They know how we can close it. It's such a wild moment, and it has to do with backmasking with the records. Where if you play it backwards, you could actually listen to how you can close the gate. I don't know about you guys, but to me, that was just a huge moment in the film where it's such an 80s moment of heavy metal music and trying to use it as a battle evil. Uh, I don't know, man. I felt like uh, the Terry character was weird. Um, he felt like it was two separate characters that maybe for, you know, obviously budget and casting reasons, they decided to just kind of put together as one kid. Um, I also felt like we never get, I mean, this kind of film needed one other specific plot point, you know, at least again, for my opinion, anyway. Right, right, right. Fuck am I. Um, <laughs> you never have a character that turns. You know, and Terry feels like the character that would have turned on his buddy. Like, you know, the demons end up possessing him or something, and you know, he turns, or they do that with the sister, where there's like a period of time where, you know, they're in control of things, you know, and they end up possessing somebody. I just feel like Terry would have been the easier one to do simply because, you know, he's into the heavy metal music. He's the one that plays the record backwards, you know, he's the one that's involved with all of this stuff. Like, it just would have made sense for him to have uh, have done that. 
Well, they do have that moment, and we'll get to it later on in the film, where he is taken, um, you know, against his will. It's not him willingly going towards it, but he does go against his will, where he becomes one of the evil minions um, that we see in the movie. Um, but it's the, the, the whole thing about the dog being thrown down into the hole, and that's what kind of leads to the minions coming to light and infesting the house. You know, I felt like that was kind of an easy thing. But it kind of made sense to what Terry was talking about, where, where they need a sacrifice to come out of a the sacrifice? ground. A sacrifice? A sacrifice, but a, a sacrifice. I will sacrifice. That's not good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but to me, that's where the movie kind of ramps up, is after the dog's in the hole, and everybody thinks it's okay, and... The whole thing really kind of connected with me, though, uh, with with uh, Glenn and his sister. When she goes to the mall, she kind of leaves him by himself. And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go because they convinced me to go. And she ends up spending all her money on a rocket for him because he's obsessed with, with setting up rockets. Red rocket, red rocket. <laughs> yeah. But I kind of like that aspect. It's kind of showing you that, you know, Al – wants to be like a teenager and grown up and sophisticated, but she, you know, she still loves her brother. And that's what I kind of liked about it is that they're showing you that bond that they do have, even though she's kind of distancing herself because she's older, they still have that kind of plot line for saying, you know what? I, I'm sorry. I left you alone. I bought you this rocket, <laughs> you know? So I don't know if you guys kind of picked up on that, but I, I did appreciate that, but they did have her kind of come back to Glenn you know, and kind of be a sister again, rather than just kind of going with the Lee sisters to just be on her own. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, when you have siblings of different ages, and specifically when you have siblings of different sex, you know, your your mm-hmm. interests, your likes, your dislikes, all of those things go in different directions completely. Um, you know, I would say nine times out of ten. That's not always the case. I want to fucking email. No. All right, you motherfucker. I, you know, me and my sister have had the same fucking life or everything forever. You know, <laughs> fuck. Um, no, you know, like, uh, as as in my family, you know, by a significant number of years, you know, all of my younger right. sisters are all completely out of their fucking minds. And uh, I, I always try as far, <laughs> far away from them as possible when I was a teenager. Um you know, but mostly because, you know, the oldest of them at that time was like eight, you know, nine or so. So I guess I guess I was more into the Al role situation than I was into the Glenn role. But again, the other big difference you have is, you know, I'm a guy. My, you know, at that age, you know, 16, listen, man, the only thing I'm looking for is some trim. You know, I want to get down, I want to get dirty, I want to hook up, I want to hang out with my friends, I want to drink some fucking beers like, you know, like the party animal I was, and I want to tickle the pig. And, you know, that that's that's all I wanted. And all my sisters ever seemed to do was fucking master the art of cock-blocking me. You know, they'd find ways to distract whatever girl I had over, or, you know, they be doing stupid shit. I'm making out of my bedroom and, you know, we're in the basement area and they're poking their fucking heads up in the little area that they could actually see into the room and they're, hee, 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 they're kissing. <laughs> and it's like, shut the fuck up, you know, be trying to do more than kissing here, bitches. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, uh, that's typical siblings with, with you. And, and yeah, they, they do show this whole, this whole bond that the two of them are having, you know, over the fact that, you know, she feels bad that she left him alone. She feels bad that the dog died. She's also feeling bad because she feels like the person that she is becoming around the Lee sisters is not true to her person. Yes. Yep. Now, you know, and I think that's also a, a part of it that we see grow. You know, I think the doctor has it from a totally different perspective. You know, he was the older brother in a brother-brother relationship. So how, how did that go for you guys? Uh, you know, it was like a similar but different kind of situation. Like, you know, any younger sibling is going to want to be poking their business in their older sibling's uh, doings, you know, and older sibling is like, oh, just leave me the fuck alone, whatever whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in in the film, you know, one, uh, you talked about the purchasing of the rocket, which is super oh, cool are because... High? Are you high? Uh, <laughs> the... Uh, are you on acid? Uh, the, <laughs> in that time period, like 1988, 1989, I went to sleepaway camp where where they had rocketry where we would like build those kinds of rockets and and launch them. I had forgot about uh, the, you know, rocketry being used in this film. In fact, one of the things I did remember why I did not remember the image of the big demon. I did remember the image of the using of the big white rocket and the shooting off of the rocket, um, you know, when I I was watching it. Yeah, and that's like, you know, the ghoul had said that, you know, with, with Dave being the older sibling and having a younger one, you know, I'm the younger one. My brother is seven years older. So back when I was watching The Gate, you know, back in the early 90s, I had that similar relationship with my brother. He was seven years older. He didn't want to fucking hang out with me anymore. You know, he had older friends that he wanted to hang out with. He and still he does. Sick and, <laughs> yeah, I know. He still does it. <laughs> but back then especially, it was just like, you know what, I'm going to go hang out with my friends, have fun here watching movies. You know, so I was left by myself a lot. So that's, again, another reason why when I watch The Gate even now, I remember that time period when I was a kid, you know, with my brother being the cool guy that he was, you know, going out with his friends and with me by myself. Even my parents weren't home. You know, it's like, yeah, I, I got stuff to do, man. <laughs> you know, enjoy yourself. Have a good time watching movies. So that's what I did. So that's why, like I said, The Gate was a, a big part of that. But I also got that relationship with Al and Glenn where it's a give and take, you know, it's, she cares about him, but at the same time, she wants to be popular. She wants to get the hot guys. She wants to hang out with the Lee sisters. <laughs> and that's not what Glenn wants. Glenn wants his parents. Glenn wants them back. You know, he wants them home. He doesn't want to be with his daddy. <laughs> yeah. But with the, now, the minions, now, you know, it's funny, Doc, that you bring up yep, the big good. white rocket entering <laughs> the monster. Now, yeah. You know, it wasn't until you said that that I really thought about the fact that, you know, these monsters looked like little African-Americans, you know, like they had really? like that, that little bit of a look to them. Do you think no, that the movie could have in a way no, been a parable, in a, a parable towards no. African-Americans nope. invading suburbia? No. 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 I didn't get that at all. <laughs> wow, cool. I did not get that at all. Wow. Um, even I, I think, I think no, you're I, either I think you're either really really reaching, uh, yeah. or you're really really reaching. Dad, uh, I think he's reaching. But uh, what I, I don't know. Re- what I was rewatch do. it, man. It's you know, and just try to try to see it from that perspective. A bunch of nope. little dark skinned creatures 
but they're not bursting out of a hole to invade suburbia. But they're not dark skin, <laughs> like peach colored. They're not even dark. So I never got that once. But hey, listen, different strokes for different folks. But um, that was what I was going to get to is the, the minions taking over the house, you know, at night. Uh, that was the one scene when I was a kid that kind of got to me is when uh, Glenn is in his bedroom with Al and they're trying to wake up Terry and you see this body flipping over underneath the covers. And then all of a sudden Terry shows up and he's like, what are you guys doing? I'm like, what the fuck? Like, why are you standing behind us? And they pull off the cover and it's actually the dead dog. And then all of a sudden the hands start reaching out from underneath the bed. When I was a kid, that fucking terrified me and it made me want to jump in the bed every single night because I was afraid of something coming out from underneath the bed. But I thought it was such an effective scene even now watching it. Look, that's how they're amping it up right now. <laughs> you know, the minions are here. Now they're going to try to fuck with you every chance that they get. Now there's hands reaching out trying to grab Al from underneath the bed. You know, the minions are here. Hell is unleashed. So I wanted to get your guys' perspective on seeing the minions for the first time. I know the ghoul kind of inputted a little bit about it. <laughs> you know, what do you think about the, you know, the minions coming out you know, of it's 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 hard to to look at that now and you know be engrossed in the story and or be scared or take it seriously because uh you know they look like that time period you know the effects of that time period and it reminded me of some of the effects from the ghoulies it reminded me of some of the effects from the munchies um oh, yeah. yep. you know and they really you know look kind of like like walking turds uh <laughs> in and you know, like sure, I, if I remember correctly, because I don't, I don't even remember the minions uh, when they came on the screen. When I was watching this before uh, and trying to think back, I you know, I'm sure it was scary to me when maybe when I was 11, you know. Uh, but you know, watching it now is just like more more humorous uh, than anything when watching it now. Well, especially. Um when you find out how they did it, how it's, you know, people in actual suits dressed up like the minions, but they did forced perspective. So everything in the background is gigantic, and there's actually banana. real people in the suits. <laughs> you know, not banana, not like those minions, but yeah. Oh, minions, I'm they sorry. <laughs> yeah. But the, yeah, the they thing used uh, was, uh, two different yeah. techniques. They used stop-motion yep. animation for some of it, but then they also used forced perspective. So people That's in right. suits and then working the camera angle certain ways to, to make them look smaller as opposed to the other actors. And when we saw this later, you know, we've seen this filmmaking later done with Peter Jackson. Um, you know, some of the Lord of the, the Rings stuff was done with a very similar thing in which, you know, some oh, yeah. of it was, you know, camera trickery. Other things were other actors you know, portraying the roles of the hobbits and whatnot to make them look smaller than, than the people they were up against. But even seeing it for 87 for what it is, yeah, at some points in the movie, it looks like shit. But there's other points where it's like, all right, that kind of looks good, you know, for 87. You know, knowing that there's actual people in those suits and it's actually a large set and it's forced perspective, it, it looked good. You know, these little minions running around and kind of terrorizing this group of people. Um, what I really liked was a scene where Glenn sees his parents standing outside and he's like, all right, they're home. Hey, nothing's wrong now. We've got our parents back, you know, nothing to worry about now. Uh, no, it's the minions fucking with you. And it's such a great fucking scene where the dad picks him up and he goes, you've been bad. And he yeah, fucking, you know, into his face. Yeah, I, I, 
I agree with you about that scene and uh, the effectiveness for Glenn uh, or the feelings that Glenn may have had when he opened the door. And I don't know if it is to, uh, you know, indicate to you that this is not legitimately the parents or if it was just how things unfolded when filming this sequence. But uh, when he opened the door, like Mm -hmm. the parents were just kind of like standing there still before they were walking. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my, 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 my aged mind now is like, oh, well, that's definitely imposter parents. Uh, right. I don't know if that's something I would have picked up on watching it as a, as a kid. I don't know if I would have been like, oh, uh, you know, the parents were already standing there. They weren't just walking up on the door when Glenn opened the door. So uh, I don't know what exactly it was that happened there, if that was staged, you know, purposely, or if it was just the the parents you know in their places ready to perform their uh, their actorly duties. I always took it as yeah, that took... was the minions fucking with them. Like I never took mm-hmm. took it as the parents coming home and all of a sudden going, "Hey, we're home. What's going on, guys?" Like I always took it as the minions fucking with these kids. Like, hey, your parents are home. Yeah. Everything's fine now. I think it's similar to, 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 to Terry's whole thing, you know, where he sees yeah, his mother. Yeah. I think they're definitely messing with him at this point. And, and yeah, they're trying to lure him into the idea of safety because they still need the two sacrifices. Um, so, you know, that, that's how I took it as. I mean, yeah, obviously watching it at this age, I'm thinking absolutely. There's no way those are really <laughs> your parents, kid. What, what are you doing? But I did really love the effect of the the father's face just collapsing in and all that goop coming out. And it's definitely uh, definitely one of the more frightening images of the film. Yeah, especially, like I said, for an 87 film that was directed towards kids and you have this whole sequence where Glenn has to tear his father's face apart, the head falls to the ground, and the mother's laughing the entire time. It's like, yeah. That's, that's going to fuck with them for a little while, you know, and then looking back outside. But it's just basically the minions basically locking them inside the house, showing them that there's no escape. You know, you can't go running out the front door because we're going to find you. And we're going to make you stay in this house because we're not done with you yet. And it was such an effective way to do it. Um, even with the phone, when the phone starts ringing, they're like, should we call the police? And it's like, all of a sudden the phone rings, and Al picks it up, and you hear the voice again, and it just melts. Classic 80s, you know, uh, practical effects, but it still works. Definitely. Definitely, without a doubt. It was such a good effect, and it was just to show, again, that the parents aren't there to help you. Like, you're going to have to figure out what the fuck to do without their help. You know, there's no calling them now. The phone's destroyed. So what are you going to do? Well, let's go down to the basement, because that's where the sacrifice record is. Oh, wait, those didn't didn't exist. Right. You know, and and when they go down to the basement and they're looking for the Bible, the one thing that I liked, I don't know if you guys caught on it, was the picture of the family, where it's Al and the parents are completely just gutted, and you just see Glenn smiling, that doofy smile that he smiles in the family picture that they showed before. I love that little effect that nobody saw except for Glenn. The the one (laughs) that's on the stairwell? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the, the one, one where he, the one where Glenn looks like he's a special needs child. <laughs> yeah, I know. With that little smile, like do like you know that smile, but his whole family's <laughs> dead except for him. 
<laughs> he doesn't bring it up. He doesn't say it, but he sees it himself, and he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and what can you do? The Sacrifix record is burnt completely. So what do we do? We reach the Bible. But even Terry said, these minions are like Lovecraftian beings. They're old gods. Like, you know, the Bible wasn't even written yet when these things were existing. And that's the one thing that they didn't really play on too much, is that these are old gods. You know, they're not Bible-related gods. They're not demons like hell demons. Well, they said it a bunch of times. You know, oh, it's the old gods, the old gods, whoa, 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 the old gods. I don't know. I think they were kind of hitting you over the head with it. Just, you know, there just wasn't much depth in what they were explaining about it. I think you're just supposed to take exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. Like you said, this isn't hell. These aren't hell demons. These aren't demons from, from Christian hell. This is, right. you know, just something that's older than that. Well, and that's the, the one thing I wanted to bring up to you guys, too, is when they go outside and they have the Bible and the Wee Sisters have a passage, they're like, this will work. This will get rid of them. And Terry starts reading it, and all of a sudden the smoke starts to recede back into the hole where the demons came from. Was it a plot by the demons to kind of make it seem like it was working? Like, was it them again fucking with these kids saying, oh, it's working, all right. Oh, no, we're so afraid. Or do you think it was actually working? I think it was working. Actually, because I mean, really? the smoke okay. was, su- you know what I mean? The smoke was sucking in. I think yeah. that, you know, it came down to, you know, regardless of whether or not the Bible was written after these things existed and whatnot, I, you know, the idea is still there that you know, these things were all taken into account within the original ideas and notions. And, you know, the, the, the heart of the Bible is, you know, good evil and things right. like that so even though these are quote-unquote old gods these ones in particular are malevolent so they still fall under the category of evil and if one believes in whatever faith it is that you're right. preaching at that particular moment and the words are correct then they should work i think they were mm-hmm. until terry you know decides that he wants to be a cocky little shit and get too close and fall down the hole Right. Well, what do you think, Doc? Do you think it was it actually working, or was it the you know the demons kind of fucking with the kids again? Uh, I agree with the ghoul that it was working again. Uh, with everything that had been going on with the demons and their different ways of fucking with them, to like continue to do this as we're getting to this stage of the movie uh, before Terry falls in, it's just I feel like it's it's too much. I feel now we've moved past all of the, oh, the demons are fucking with the kids in different ways, and, and yeah. now now we're full steam ahead, uh, barreling towards the conclusion. Well, and that's, that's sure. the question that I had, is if it worked. Because, you know, obviously you see the smoke going back into the hole. So you think whatever Terry's saying in that passage of the Bible, it's working. Until he gets cocky, like the ghoul had said, and he falls down into the hole, and he has to be faced off against all these minion creatures that are trying to bite at him and, and attack him things like that. So when he finally gets out of the hole, he just says, fuck it, and throws the entire Bible down there. And you have this huge explosion, and they're like, oh, everything's fine. Look at that. The hole's gone. We're good. Like, we, we destroyed evil, guys. But, you know, in, in another kind of movie, that might have been the end of the movie. It's like, all right, they did it. We're done. We're cutting back, and we're done. But this movie keeps going. That's why I kind of thought that the demons were fucking with them. Like, this Bible passages that you're reading they might make us a little bit weaker, but it's not going to get rid of us completely because love and light is the only thing that's going to get rid of us. The Bible, you know, it's going to take something a little bit more. 
And that's why I kind of like the fact that this thing keeps going. Some old world pagan magic. That's what it is, man. Love and light, man. Love and light. And that's why I like when the whole thing is over and the Wee Sisters leave and the guys leave and Terry and Glenn are back in the basement and they're watching TV and they're like, yeah, everything's done. It's fine. And then all of a sudden the workman comes bursting through the wall. I fucking love the look of the workman as a zombie creature wearing the coveralls, popping out of the wall and attacking Terry and taking him into the wall. You know, it's, it's not over. You're not done. You know, you fucked up. You might have thrown the Bible down, but we're not done. You know, we still have work actually, to do. Actually, though, like when I was watching this, I felt like this would have been, an, like especially for the 80s, this would have been mm-hmm. an effective jump scare ending to the movie. You know, you take away that whole big demon and everything, but instead, you know, they blow up the hole, everything's okay, or so they seem, then this fucking thing comes through the wall, grabs Terry, drags him in, the wall seals, you have Glenn standing there, staring at the wall, cut to credits. You know, that 80s type of like, holy shit, did that just happen? Was this all in his head? You know, you, you... and you're good to go. But no, instead, obviously, the, the movie chugs along and, and we continue to our real climax. Because it needs climax, two sacrifices. So. It still needs two sacrifices. Like, it's not done. And that's why I keep chugging along. And it takes Terry. And, you know, with Al, um, that's the one thing. I, when I was a kid and even now, I love it. When they go to the closet. They go to the closet and you have Terry as a demon biting Glenn on the, on the hand. And I just, I love that visual. Because <laughs> he's screaming for Al. She comes downstairs, and what's the first thing that she grabs? She grabs a Barbie doll. And just starts stabbing <laughs> Terry's eye with it until he goes away. Like, it's such a great visual. But it's also to show you that they need one more. And that's when the workman shows up in the closet, you know, trying to take her away into the closet. So, you know, Glenn's left by himself. The house is all fucked up. There's symbols all over the wall, and now you get introduced to the gigantic-ass demon, the big one, the old god. What did you guys think about the effect of the old demon, you know, the, the big one, you know, that they show at the end? I still like it. I mean, even today, I think it still holds up as a decent effect. I mean, yeah, I don't know if necessarily... I don't know if necessarily holding up is the... Is the correct term to use uh you know we've come a a, obviously a universe uh since those effects i will say i feel that the smaller ones uh looked better than the the larger one uh Mm -hmm. the larger one uh and i'm sure it was the same when i was a kid when that thing finally appeared like that was quite a oh damn holy shit that thing's actually kind of fucking huge uh you know i feel it was like the smaller effects that worked better like when the one right. minion had his arm stuck in the door and the, the, oh, yeah. the arm fell off and it like turned into a bunch of like sperm. worms that went crawling under the door yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know so I, I it, it doesn't it's not bad but I don't necessarily know if, if holding up is, is the right term terminology that I would use uh, in my right. opinion right it's yeah, I agree I mean I think 
I think it's still a good effect as far as, you know, that Harry Harrenhausen era of stuff, you know, yeah. like it's up there yep. with like Clash of the Titans and shit like that. Like I mm-hmm. see the Kraken when I saw this creature, you know, that's, that's all I'm thinking with it. So, I mean, the facial effects, everything were very similar. So, yeah, and that's exactly the, the point I was getting at too, is that it's Ray Harryhausen, you know, the, the whole effect of the, the big ass monster popping up with uh, Glenn by himself. And it's kind of a weird thing where it, it pops up out of, the, out of the middle of his living room. And when he's scared of it, it just kind of pats him on the head, you know, kind of like, thank you for releasing me on the world. You're great, Glenn. Thank you so much. Like, I've been waiting for this, and now I'm released. So what's your gift? I'm going to give you an eye in the middle of your fucking hand. That's what I'm going to give you. I'm like, all right, nope. Blink, blink. A little much. Yeah. So, but, you know, it's a good effect now, you know, but you can see it now how they did it, you know, and, and especially when he puts the, the, uh, the shard of glass through the, you know, his hand. But I'm still with kind of with Glenn at that point. I'm not looking at the effects from that standpoint. I'm kind of with Glenn because how are you going to get, you know, your sister and how are you going to get Terry back? Well, there's Thunderbolt. So I'm going to use the love and the light because that was a gift from my sister for love my birthday. Light, man. Yeah. But I, I don't know what you guys thought, but I kind of like the fact that when he shoots off the Thunderbolt into the gigantic monster's chest, it doesn't work right away. So it's kind of like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I thought that was going to be it. I thought this was going to destroy the monster right away and we're going to be done. But it doesn't right away. So I don't know, you know, what did you guys think about that? But, you know, that's, you know, when it comes to, like, the climactic uh, showdown, that's often something that's the case. I mean, uh, when you put it that way, what comes to mind immediately was all of the the trials and tribulations that Dr. Emmett Brown faced when trying to uh, connect the the cables around the clock tower uh, when hoping for lightning. You know, when those kinds of things happen, you know, they're doing it, obviously, to ratchet up the fear, to, to ratchet up the tension, um, you know, that's a, that's a common, 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 commonly used strategy uh, when it comes to final showdowns. It just, it worked for me because it goes right through his chest, but it doesn't work right away. So it's like, what else do I need to do to destroy this thing? And so all of a sudden it starts to break apart right down the center. <laughs> and they have the greatest uh, comical kind of effect of Glenn getting blasted out of his house. Like, to me, I was still laughing when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, getting flipped outside of his house, upside down, until he lands outside. And he's like, whoa! Like, I'm like, I'm still... Such a terrible... day after that. It's really, really such a bad, bad-looking effect. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's it hilarious. Really like, I... I, 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 I yeah. You know, when I watched this, I was, I was dying. I was cracking up to it, so... Yeah, I mean, even when I was a kid, I'm like, oh, come on, Really? But he's going to get blasted out of it, flipping upside down like that? Whoa! You know, flipping outside of his house. You know, um, the thing is, though, with this movie, with the ending, I, you know, as a kid, I felt differently. As a kid, I wanted the dog, and I wanted the sister, and I wanted her to come back. But watching it now, in my adult years, I kind of would have liked it if they never came back, if they were dead. Like, if they just never came back, he closed the gate and he defeated the monster. But, you know, the dog and Terry and Al don't come back. And he's left by himself. He defeated no, the evil. The fucking dog but... has to come back. I'm glad the dog came back. I expected everybody else to come back. I didn't expect the dog to come back. And I was very glad that it did. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's still, like, you know, to this day, it's, it's cool to see the dog come back and then Terry and Al. But when I watch it now, I'm like, you know what? kind of wish I didn't. You know, have, you know, Glenn by himself. You know, defeated evil, but you know what? Your sister, your best friend, and your dog are still dead. And your parents come home today. Poor kid's going to have so. to explain it to his parents, you know? Like, Mom, Dad, I'm sorry, but, you know, we lost Al. We lost Terry. <laughs> yep. Stuck with me and my hairdo. That was the other thing. That's what I want to ask uh, Doc, too. Um, after the movie's over and after evil's defeated, the sky turns blue again, and Al and the dog and Terry are back. But the house is still fucked up. Like, the house is, like, in shambles. Um, it's not like everything goes back to normal. So it's like, how are you going to explain this to your parents when they come home? Literally well, that's the earthquake. <laughs> yeah, an earthquake. Um, you know, that's one of those things where, yes, uh, you know, where they've defeated evil and so on and so forth. Uh, what are we going to do now? Uh, we're sitting here, we've won. And yeah, I think that's like the, you know, the fun <laughs> ending. It's like, Oh, what are we going to tell mom and dad? Um, you know, so I, I really think like, obviously there's nothing that they're going to do that's going to fix uh, what's happened. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of, that's just kind of where it's at. It's like that we've defeated evil, but Oh shit, we're going to, we're going to be in big trouble. Well, I also and think, though, I you think gotta you remember, know. too, there was a scene in which the fucking, it was a gigantic tornado bursting out of the hole. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. being that the damage is still there, you could theorize that that tornado actually did occur, other people could see it, so you could just basically say, like, hey, you know what? You know, that's how everybody explains it. There was a fucking tornado, man. I can't believe it. I can't believe these kids are alive. So that is a good way to do it, too, because I can't imagine this neighborhood, which got a lot of people in it, they didn't see the same thing that was going on. <laughs> There's not a single person in the neighborhood that was awake. Like, what the fuck is that huge goddamn fucking tornado coming up in the backyard of the Glen house? Like, that's a massive fucking thing. Like, you know, nobody noticed. <laughs> like, you know, you know, but they didn't go into that. But, yeah, when the movie ended with Glenn sitting outside with Al and Terry I kind of wanted there to be like a Tears for Fears, you know, Everybody Wants to Rule the World song playing at the end, like a real genius or something like that. It's like, oh, we're going to play a poppy song for you right now because they survived, but their house is fucked up, <laughs> you know. And here come the parents. That would have been so great, too, if the parents' car pulled up at the last second, right before Yeah, credits. I mean, you know, don't forget you got Angus digging around in the back, which, you know, pulling the shoe and everything, but, you know, indicating, oh, uh, there's still some there's still some focus on this on this area in the ground here. Yeah, that was. No, a I weird think he's thing. just grabbing yeah, the sneaker, and that was it. I mean, then again, there is a sequel. I I don't I definitely have never seen it. So. Um. Yeah, that's the uh, the Gate Two from 1990, uh, the Trespassers, where never Lewis Tripp played Terry returns. Uh, they explain that Glenn and his family moved away after what happened in the Gate. They basically just moved away, and they picked up stakes and moved somewhere else. But Glenn um, never had contact with Terry again, and Terry was constantly keeping watch over Glenn's old house, waiting for something to happen again, because he felt like if it happened once, it could happen again. Um, it's a fucking terrible movie. Like, it's just they capture one of the minions, and they do experiments on it. And it's, it's a terrible movie. 
Tibor Takis directed it. You know, he helped write the script, but it's it's a terrible sequel. Um, but what's interesting is this is the one thing I didn't know if you guys knew about it as a quote of the show is that Alex Winter of Bill and Ted fame was planning on directing a remake of The Gate, and he planned on making it 3D. Uh, oh wow! So exciting. He wrote the yeah he wrote the script. He was making it a huge creature feature film. He wanted to have all these different creatures, all the minions. He wanted to put it in 3D, and he wanted it to be a throwback to that 87 film, but could never find the funding for it. It never got made. I wonder why. So, good thing or bad thing, I don't know. But, yeah, I, I think that The Gate is good enough on its own. I think it's, it's left alone. It's a period piece of the 80s, and I think you don't really need to do a remake of that to make it any better. Mm. I don't know. Again, that's one of those where, you know what? Make your own damn movie. I mean, obviously, other people have agreed because, you know, Alex Winter is now currently, I guess, getting ready to possibly do Bill and Ted's 3. Oh, I think it's guaranteed. I think that's, like, already, you know, with the oh. whole, you know, pictures that they've been doing. Yeah, I think that's guaranteed. But, yeah, I, hmm. The Gate is a weird one where it's, you know, at the time that I read the news that he was planning on doing the remake, I said, that could be good. But at the same time, I think it's such a classic 80s film that I think it just needs to stay there in the 80s. I think it's, if you discover it, like Sammy discovered it and other kids discover it, I think it's great. But I don't really think it needs to be a remake. I think just watch the original and you'll be fine. Yeah, the kid enjoyed it. You know what I mean? She definitely had fun with it. She was able to watch it. There was nothing too, too no. grotesque or, or too scary. I think, you know, for her, the scariest part was the, probably the collapsing parent face. Um, oh, yeah. Yep. You know, but aside from that, it was, uh, you know, it was a good time for her. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I mean, look, for, for, the, for, the, for the 1980s where there was a whole, and by series, I don't mean series of the gate, but, uh, you know, there was a whole series of, of kid-friendly, kid-leaning horror movies in the 80s. With um, a squad. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's, I don't, I don't necessarily view that one, uh, you know, in the same like kind of horror vein as I might view something like the gate, but yeah, I mean, the monster squad is a, an example of that. Um, you know, so I don't, they don't, they don't make, they don't make them for, for that no. leaning audience. Like, yeah, they go for PG 13 in a lot of cases, but like these were movies that were like, Oh, we can make it as close to PG thirteen as possible and get a larger audience, but like not necessarily gearing it towards kids. Like something like the gate, like was totally geared towards kids. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know, again you, though, you I mean, if we go by what the producer originally, you know, the the writer was originally going with, this wasn't tailored for <laughs> yeah. kids. No. You know, they did not, he did not have that intention. It just kind of got turned into that as the studio wanted to obviously get something out there to capitalize on that horror boom that was going on that had kids like you, me, and the, and the king here watching these films. You know, and, it, and it's like I said, it's a product of its time. Um, it's one of those movies that I feel like not everybody talks about in terms of, of, of horror cinema, especially from the 80s. Like, I feel like it's one of those movies where it's like, if you know about it, it's great, but it's not something that everybody talks about, the gate. I feel like it's got a very specific audience. And I think, like we had talked about at the start, um, it's age-appropriate. It's like, I remember watching that when it first came out, you know, and I think that's the audience that it has. 
Um, I'm glad that uh, Sammy discovered it and liked it because I think that's what kids need to watch. You know, this is what we were watching back in the 80s. You know, this is what horror was. This is where horror was going back in the 80s, you know, with minions and hell and different things like that, you know. Uh, uh, a landscape that you don't have. Mm-hmm. Very well crafted. So, uh, with that said, uh, King, uh, not King, but <laughs> cool. I believe it is your uh, pick next week. What do you have for us, if anything? Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, I think with us talking about him earlier in the episode, it's kind of like been going back and forth, back and forth on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's what I'll say. It's going to be one of two picks. We are either going sure. to go with 2010's Piranha. I like or it. Okay. 2015's because we were talking about Henry Rollins earlier. He never died. That's the one I was thinking of. He never died. So that was the one. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So it okay. is one or the well, other. I will let you know by tomorrow. You know, excellent. Um, you know, like I said, he, that was the one I was thinking of, which I actually liked. Um, but Piranha, both of them are good choices. So, you know, you have your reign. Uh, you could definitely pick which one you're going to do. Um, so that is that. So stay tuned, folks, for our pick. I'll announce it next week on the Facebook page, as I always do on Monday. Um, so, Doc, if you will, thank you so much for joining us. And sign out, please. I will. Peace thank out. you, and good night. You're welcome. Excellent. And good morning. All right. So, uh, Ghoul, if you have your plugs, so I want you to do that before we close out. Uh, you know, well, again, I mean, obviously, we were talking about 1980s stuff, so that has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about now. Um, check out Bonfire Beat Designs. Uh, all kinds of jewelry for old gods, new gods, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, Sack your lover. It could be whatever it is. You know, it could be your fucking dog. Buy your dog a bracelet. The shoes and chokes. I'm sorry. It shouldn't have done that. Um, But, uh, yeah, no, we will be at the NJ Horicon next month um, as uh, as per our our visitations with them uh, going to Atlantic City. So there will be all kinds of fun earrings, bracelets, necklaces, you know, rings, horror-themed, spiritual stuff. You name it, it's there. Uh, We just don't have sex toys this time. We might. Who knows? You never know with us. We're fucking weird that way. You know, we're uh, we're, we're poised to have a good time. I'm looking forward to seeing the Horicon show up in Atlantic City, and they have been, you know, having a good time announcing all kinds of uh, special guests. It looks like we've got a bit of a reunion of the the Evil Dead TV series um, cast coming in. Uh, which is kind of cool. Looking forward to to meeting them, uh, as well as Elvira you and Ron Jeremy, like I said last week, and and all of that stuff. So, is Elvira so is it, she going to be in in costume, or is she going to be there as Cassandra Peterson? Uh, so I believe she is doing photo op as Elvira on the couch. Um, I'm not sure about that though. I'm not positive. You'd have to check out the New Jersey Horrorcon website to know for sure. Uh, that's uh, New Jersey Horrorcon. And, you know, as far as Bonfire Beat Designs goes, go to her Etsy page, Bonfire Beat Designs, uh, on Etsy, all one word. Stay scared, everybody. And as we close out, uh, 
Jennifer Rubin has a GoFundMe uh, campaign going on right now for her sister Annie, who has MS. It's posted up on our Talking Terror page, so without question, go visit that. Donate what you can. I know Terror Gloves uh, has a replica of the Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 needle glove that uh, Taryn White, Jennifer Rubin's character, got killed by, so check that out. I'll be doing a podcast on uh, August 31st from 6 to 9, uh, the uh, L.A. time, so in Los Angeles, uh, helping out with her campaign, so check that out. I'll post a link when it gets closer to that date. And as far as I'm concerned, keep America strong, watch horror movies. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Peace.